Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Why revival tarries. Last week, we talked about what true biblical revival is. And we have to do that because revival is one of those words that Christian culture has really run away with. And so we've got to draw a distinction between what does the Bible say? We really should be drawing a distinction on that in everything, right? What does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible say about these terms and not what does Christian culture say? Because Christian culture has turned revival into this thing that's not biblical, It's got aspects of it that are true. That's why it looks good from the outside looking in. But when you actually dig down into it, into what does God say in his word is revival, it looks a lot different. So we also talked last week about what is this first step of revival. That's how we ended last week. What is the first thing we need if revival is going to hit? And we said that that is desperation. When revival hits there is a next-level desperation that comes with it, right? And that is something that we cannot conjure up on our own. I cannot make myself desperate, right? We looked at the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6. There's this really cool encounter Isaiah has with God, and it was that encounter with God that made Isaiah desperate. After Isaiah saw the Lord, He became desperate for more of him. And that's how God is. So what is the first step of revival? We need an encounter with God, right? But here's the thing. It's it's kind of there's there's this weird link between the two things. We need an encounter to become desperate enough to get revival, right? But we also have to be desperate enough for an encounter that we spend the time to get that encounter, right? And I am so afraid, guys, the church in the United States, it has been a while since we've seen revival. And I am afraid as these little guys have become more and more and more and more and more and more a chain to us, the less likely we are to experience a true revival of God. Because, listen, I'll be honest with you. When I wake up in the morning, I read my Bible on this, and that's all good and well. But then afterwards, I would love to tell you that I put my phone down, and I enter into my prayer time. And I, but guys, I don't. There are so many mornings where I, well, I'm just going to check ESPN real quick to see if the Guardians beat the Twins. Oh, sweet, they did. First place, yeah. That was just a little plug for the Guardians, but... But I got to brag on some Cleveland team that's in first place because it doesn't happen much. But it is so easy. And then listen, and you guys know this, right? Well, I'm just going to jump on Facebook real quick, see how many likes I got on my last post. But ladies and gentlemen, when you're on it, you get right off, right? You don't. It sucks you in. And then I've wasted 45 minutes 
an hour, hour and a half, reading political posts on Facebook that I don't even agree with. Like, who cares what Tom from Kentucky thinks about this? Right? But until we learn to put this down, and that's not just our phones, but everything that sucks away our time from God, until we are desperate enough, we say it, the church says it, we need revival, we need revival. But until we are desperate enough to say, you know what, I'm going to cut everything else out. I'm going to cut everything else out, and I'm going to spend the time it takes to have an encounter with God. Until we do that, until we're desperate enough, revival will not come. I think that is the number one reason that revival tarries. Because we aren't willing to spend the time it takes to have that encounter with God. Because ladies and gentlemen, when you encounter God, when you, when you encounter Him, He will grab hold of you and it will not let you go. You will want more and more and more and more. And all of a sudden, it won't be a chore to put down the phone and to seek his face. But you've got to take the time to get there, right? And then you've got to stay there because this world is really good at throwing distractions. So that's, that's point one. Revival tarries because we aren't desperate enough to take the time to get it, to seek that encounter, to seek God's face. Point two today. Why does revival tarry? Contrition. That's a fancy word, isn't it? We love it. Contrition is, it's, it's, it's a condemnation on the church that we don't know what contrition means, right? Contrition is being sorry. The act of repenting and being broken over our sin. And unfortunately, it's a lost art in the church. There are aspects, aspects, that I wish confession to a priest was still a thing in all churches. There are parts of me that don't want that because I don't really want people lined outside my office door coming in and confessing their sins all day long. I don't want to carry that. But th the problem is, folks, we've lost how to repent of our sins, how to confess our sins to one another. And in this church body we just talked about that's covenantal, we should be confessing our sins to one another. But we don't. We've lost what it means to be broken over our sins, what it means to be contrite. We talked about this a little bit with Isaiah last week. But Isaiah has this encounter with God and what, what, does, what does God lead off with, right? These angels introduce God as he comes into this temple. They introduce him as holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. He introduces himself with his holiness. That's how he steps in. And his holiness forces Isaiah into contrition. It forces him to repent because what's Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Holiness does that, right? I love this. I ran across this quote from Tim Keller. He says, simply living the way that you should can expose dishonesty in your office, racism in your neighborhood, 
gossip in your social circle, corruption in your government office. Just living with integrity will irritate many people. This is why simple goodness will attract hostility, just because it is good. People hate a person of integrity. Have you ever been there? Been in an office environment where you choose to walk in integrity, but everybody else cuts every corner they can to get ahead? Who's the least popular person in that office? The person with integrity, right? This happens a lot, now, you know, lots of times as, as a pastor, you know, when I get around certain friends or whatever, you know, we'll be talking, they're talking about the Browns or whatever, and they'll, they'll swear, they'll say a bad word. And then immediately, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. For, for what? Well, I just, I, I mean, I know you're a pastor. I'm, I'm sorry for swearing. But, God, right? People see your integrity. Maybe, maybe, if you're bold enough to admit Maybe you've been in a situation where you've cut some corners. And who's the person that rubs you the wrong way the most? The person who didn't cut those corners, right? And it's usually always the thing that you did. We actually see this in David. You know, David with, remember the prophet Nathan, he, he confronts him about his sin with Bathsheba. And he gives him this story. If you're a fan of VeggieTales, you'll remember this because they did a VeggieTales story about it. But he does this story about this, this poor man who had a sheep, right? He had this sheep, and then this rich man over here who had a thousand sheep decided he didn't want any of those sheep, he wanted that sheep. And so he went and he took that sheep from that poor man. And what's David do? David flies off the handle. Find me, find me that rich man. I'm going to kill him. That's unfair that he did this. I'm going to take his head off. That is not right. And then Nathan says, King David... You are the man. Oof. But right? King David is so quick to judge because deep down, he's not walking with integrity. Now imagine. We're, we're talking people on people, right? This is, this is interactions with a person. Now imagine you come face to face with the holiest being in the entire universe. You got one of two choices. You guys know when animals get backed into a corner, right? Wild animals. They become dangerous, right? They claw and bite and do whatever they can to get out of that corner. You're no different. And God's holiness will always back you into a corner. And you will either claw and fight and bite and do whatever you can to get out. Or you will bow and surrender to him. Those are the only two choices when we come face to face with God's holiness. We either run from it, and we've got all the excuses in the world, right? We're good Christians. We know the excuses. We either run from it, or we run to him. Contrition is running to him. We turn from our sin, and we run into his holiness trusting that he can make us as holy as he is. So what does biblical contrition look like? We're back to our three points today. All is well in the world. Yes, last week we had four. It was a disaster. Now we have three. Where it stands, starts. I can read. Who needs enemies? 
and where it leads. These feel like Jeopardy categories today. Potent potables. First, where it starts. Last week, we talked about where revival starts, with that next-level desperation for God himself. This week, we look at where contrition, this first step of, of our response, where it starts. And it really is where desperation pushes us to. Godly desperation can be summed up in this phrase. Pastor Jared and I were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago. But godly desperation is content, but never satisfied. Content, but never satisfied. Now, contentment, contrary to popular modern teaching, is what Philippians 4.13 is actually about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you put that into the context where it comes from, Paul is actually talking about being, being happy whether he's rich or whether he's poor, being happy whether he's, he's hungry or he's well-fed. He's talking about being content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today we put it on athletic socks, and it's about winning NBA championships and all that stuff. That's not what Paul meant, right? We know this. But here's the thing with contentment. Contentment's a double-edged sword. You can be content into laziness. You can be content in situations where, okay, I'm good with God. Me and God are good. Jesus is just all right with me. There's a song about it. You know, we, I can just chill out, relax, whatever. But true desperation is being content without ever being satisfied which means we are content with what God gives us, but it's never enough. I always want more of him. I'm content with the spiritual gifts that he's given me, but I don't stop expecting him to do more. I'm content with the revelation that he's given me, but I never stop seeking more, right? Content, but never satisfied. I was talking with Elam about this this week. We were talking about how this, how that actually how that translates into sports, right? The best athletes in the world are content but never satisfied, right? Because as soon as you become satisfied, all right, I'm the best in the business. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the spoils, right? Then you get fat and lazy, and somebody else takes your place, right? If it works for athletics, <laughs> why, do we, why don't we apply it to everything else, especially our spiritual walk? We can be content without being satisfied, and we see that in the life of King Josiah. Before our scripture reading, before you read any of that, this is how Josiah's reign starts. The word tells us, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about Isaiah. You know, when you get into these Kings and Chronicles books, it seems like every other king, it's, this is how it all starts, right? So-and-so was king of Israel. He was 
this many years old when he took over. This is how long his reign was. And then it tells us he did right in the eyes of the Lord or he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah was a good one. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. And look at why he was a good one. I love verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved images, and the molten images. Josiah flexes this point. Content, but never satisfied. Because throughout Josiah's reign, he never stopped seeking the Lord. He never stopped allowing God to speak to him. Because he sought him. From a young age, he sought the Lord. I've noticed this. You, you know, one of the things that, that categorizes Josiah, we saw it in our scripture reading, is that he was not above correction, right? He allowed the Lord to correct him. He had a humble heart. Notice this, you know, you guys know, I, I really don't like leadership culture, our current leadership culture, how that all runs. I don't like it. I don't think it is biblical. But, but one of the things that I've noticed in this, in this alpha male leadership culture is that the leader, the alpha male, can never be wrong. At least not publicly, right? Because if you're wrong, if you admit you're wrong, that admits, admit, admits weakness. I can't talk. That admits weakness. And if you admit weakness, people won't follow you. And so I have seen leaders of these corporations, they'll make an announcement and they get the day wrong. And so the entire corporation changes the day on the calendar so that the leader's not wrong. Because there's no humility. There's, there's no humility. And, and it's not biblical leadership. And as long as that is the prevailing attitude within the church, we will never see revival. Josiah humbled himself, and he let God correct him. But look at where this correction starts. It says, Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. It starts here, right here, the word of God. Whereas last week, we saw Isaiah's contrition come from an encounter with, the, with God, an actual experience where he physically saw God's glory fill the temple, saw angels, saw the whole deal. Josiah doesn't get that. He gets the word of God read to him, the book of the law, and that alone is enough to wreck him. Now, I, I, I am from, my, my major spiritual development comes from a, a more Pentecostal charismatic background. So that's where I come from. So I, I give a lot of this advice from that background. 
But, but one of the problems that we have in these more charismatic churches is that we have become so obsessed with this experience. And I'll, I'll be honest with you all. When I started, I started as a worship leader. And when I first started, I used to pray every single day, God, show me your glory. And when I said that, what I wanted was some smoky pillar of smoke to drop down in my living room, you know, angels, you know, the, the whole nine yards. God, show me your glory. I want burning fire. I want the stuff we read about in the Old Testament, the smoking pot and all of it. Show me your glory. Glory clouds and, and all of that stuff. And I prayed for it every day. Now listen, can I tell you this? One thing that did, I never saw it. I never saw a glory cloud. But one thing that that did, I was desperate, y'all. And, and I faithfully, every morning, was on my face asking God. You tell me, does God despise that? Not at all. So look, he's corrected me since then. I now pray a better prayer, but I don't think God's mad about that prayer. So if you're praying for glory clouds, this isn't stop praying for that. That's not what this is. Keep that desperation. Keep on your face, crying out to him. But one morning, years ago, I opened up to the Gospel of John, and in the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, it tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among them, right? And the, that word being Jesus. And then John tells us, and we saw his glory. Who is the glory of God? Jesus Christ. So, and, and, you know, that was what God corrected me. And Jeremy, you don't need a glory cloud. I sent my son. You've got Jesus. He is my glory. And you can see that. You can see him. And so that, that was really the path that started me pursuing this, the gospel so hard. That's why this church is the gospel house, right? Because we are all about the gospel. Everything points to Jesus because he is the glory of God. But sometimes we can get so obsessed as charismatic, as Pentecostals, that you know, we can only experience or hear from God in these big ways, prophetic voices and, and glory clouds and all that stuff. Look, guys, sometimes God does speak that way. It's not that he doesn't speak that way. There are real testimonies of God showing up now, today, like that. It's not like Old Testament's over with, no more glory clouds. You, the people still see them. God sometimes speak that way, but can I tell you something? God has also given us his word. So while God sometimes speaks through glory clouds, God always speaks through his word always and that is exactly what we see here with king josiah the word of god alone is all it takes for him to be broken he doesn't need to see the angels he doesn't need a supernatural experience the word of god breaks him josiah and isaiah both saw the same thing they both encountered the holiness of God, and it broke them. Part of the reason that God shows up here in Josiah's revival is because in Josiah's heart, 
there's something deeper going on here. Because look, I'd, any of y'all going to admit this? It's not always a joy to wake up in the morning and read your Bible. In our Bible in a Year plan, we're in Ezekiel right now. And today was cool because it was the dry bones part, and I know that part. It's like, oh, I love this one. So that's exciting. But every other day it's like, oh, another day of Ezekiel. And it's after Jeremiah and Isaiah. And there's, oh, Jesus, why didn't I do the other Bible plan where I at least get a br- bounce around a little bit and I don't get bogged down? But here's the deal. Reading your word is a spiritual discipline. You guys know what a discipline is, right? If you're working out and you have a discipline, it means you show up whether you want to or not. If you're going to run a marathon, you better practice before you just get out there and run a marathon, right? Because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to get to like mile two and be like, how many more of these? 24 more. I Forget it. Bring out the motorized cart. A discipline isn't fun while you're in the midst of it. But you keep at it. Because there are days, while there are days that you've got to slug through it, there are also days where every day you come, you expect. And if you come every day expecting, God shows up. He honors that. It's not going to be on day one. Maybe it is. (laughs) Everybody's different. He knows what you need. But if you are struggling to stay in your word, just keep at it. I promise you, God loves discipline. He loves it. And if you are faithful to discipline yourself, to be in his word, he will honor that. But part of the reason that God shows up here for Josiah is because this is what he sees in him. We see this. This is what the uh, the prophetess Huldah tells the people when they come to seek the Lord. She says, But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you will say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his word against this place and against its inhabitants. And because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you. Josiah gets it. Ladies and gentlemen, can I encourage you, when you approach your word every morning, approach it like this, with a humble heart, prepared to allow the Lord to break you of your way so that he can put you together his way. Look, y'all, some of us are far too put together before the Lord. Come on, somebody. Some of us are far too put together before the Lord. We like to, you know, I'll be, I come to church in a nice tie and dress shirt. I like to look nice, right? But y'all, when I walk in front of God, it all goes away. I stand before him completely exposed. There is no putting on the nines in front of God. We can do it on social media. We can do it in front of our friends do it in front of our family, pretend we got it all together. But when you come before God, come in your brokenness. Come before him in your brokenness because he honors that. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember Psalm 51? A broken and contrite heart, O God, 
you will not despise. And if that's how you approach your word every morning, God is going to answer that, just like he did with King Josiah. And in the light of God's holiness, you've got a decision to make, right? Right? We either run or we run into him. We either run back to our sin or we run into him and leave that life of sin. Remember, it's, it's what we talked about with Isaiah last week. This is the intro to King Josiah. He was a good king, right? He was a good king. If, if that passage had ended, if that's all we got, you know, Josiah got rid of the temple idols, he got rid of all those idols, he brought, you know, Israel back, he never gets this book of the law. If the story ends there, Josiah is still a good king. He did the good king things. Yet, he was still broken enough in this encounter with the book of the law to openly weep before God. These aren't bad people, y'all. That's what we've reduced it down to, right? Sin is just evil people. They're all those people in the jails that have done bad things. Not us. We have dress clothes and come to church. That's not what the word of God says. Sin is doing things your way. And when Isaiah encountered God, and when Josiah encountered God, they both saw, oh my goodness, I've been doing things my way. And God's way is so much better. God's way is so much higher. Lord, forgive me. Help me to get there. But Josiah also had help. He didn't do this alone. Y'all have heard this saying, right? Who needs friends like, or yeah, who needs friends when you have enemies like these? You guys have heard that? Unfortunately, today's Christian culture, no, wait, is that right? I got that backwards. Who needs enemies when you have friends like these? There it is. Who needs enemies when you've got friends like these? You'll get it eventually. I just keep talking until I get there. I don't actually know what I'm going to say beforehand. Unfortunately, this is how many Christians view friendship today. Right? We talked about this in the King David and Goliath thing. We don't actually want friends. We want fans. Just encourage me. Come on. I don't want harsh stuff. Just tell me the good stuff. Tell me what's good about me. Right? When you're struggling, call five friends and have them say something good about yourself. <laughs> oh, feels so good. Right? That's not biblical friendship, y'all. That is not covenantal friendship. The Bible tells us that true covenantal friendship are people who are going to make you look more like Jesus. And that's exactly who Josiah has around him. 2 Chronicles 34, 14 to 16. We get this account, and you can see it up there. I'm not going to read it because it's got all those funny names in it. But you see this account. And listen, y'all. These people find the book of the law, and they immediately take it to Josiah. If verses 14 to 16 don't happen, there is no revival. If Josiah's friends, and, and listen, Josiah's friends, 
they had a lot to lose here. If, if you don't think they had a lot to lose, go back into the Kings and Chronicles and find King Ahab, because he was a king over Israel. And there were prophets who did their job and brought King Ahab the word of God. And guess what Ahab did? He killed him. I don't want to hear hard stuff. I don't want somebody, I'm the, doggone it, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the leader here. You don't tell me that I did anything wrong. You don't tell me that I got it wrong. Get rid of these clowns. Kill them. But here's the thing. Josiah knew these men. He knew these men. You know, one of the, the priests and the scribes, this is his church, right? He knew his church, and his church knew him. And they knew that if they brought this to his attention, that King Josiah would look more like God, that his heart would receive the correction, and he would look more like God. Josiah knew that his church coming to him with this correction wasn't to be mean. It wasn't to hurt his feelings. It wasn't to gain power. It was because they wanted him. They wanted Israel to look more like what God had created them to be. So they brought it. They decided that that was worth it. So can I ask you, who are the friends that you have in your life? Do you, do you surround yourself with fans? Or do you surround yourself with covenantal friends? You know, Pastor Jared and I, we made a covenant together a long time ago. We went to, we went to some conference, and at that conference we were sharing a hotel room, and we said, you know what, we're going to see the glory of the Lord together. And we, I put it on my calendar every year when that day comes up that we made that promise to each other. It comes up and reminds me, Jared and I will see the glory of God together. We covenanted. And because we covenanted, there is nothing that Jared needs that I won't give him. If it's going to help him see the glory of God, that means that if I see something goofy that Jared's doing, I'm not going to sit back and let him do goofy stuff. If he starts, you know, on some tangent about like, well, we think Jesus was just kind of a son of God. No, buddy, he doesn't do that, guys, don't worry. You can come to his church tonight, and he's not going to, I promise. But we're, and, and he's going to do the same thing for me. If I get up here and I say something funny, he's going to come to me and say, Jeremy, that was off. That wasn't right. Because we made a covenant to one another. Church, we just did membership. You made a covenant today, whether you wanted to or not. You covenanted with those people that you will walk this life together and that more than anything else, you are going to help each other look more like Jesus. That means that sometimes you got to say hard things. Have that hard conversation. But listen, we talked about this. It's not blow for blow, right? You don't just do it because, oh, he's getting a little too high on his horse. I'm going to knock him down a notch. That's not what we do but it's I truly want them to look more like Jesus. And so I'm going to say something. It's hard, isn't it? Right? Nobody likes to say hard things to someone else. 
Guys, I, like Jana and I are in covenant. We're married, right? I say hard things to Jana. I have to pray like crazy before I say hard things to Jana. Because I don't want to. It's not fun. Like when you love someone, you don't want to tear them down. But at the same time, if you don't, they will just become deeper and deeper entrenched in those problems. So we come to them. You know, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 7. But we come and we bring godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. It's not sorrow just to make people feel bad, but it's sorrow that leads to repentance because we want them to look like Jesus. That is the friend group you need to have around you. That's the church. And ladies and gentlemen, when you find it, don't let it go. Don't let it go. The enemy, the enemy will, wants you to let it go. The enemy will say, when your friend gives you a hard word, when your church, when your pastor gives you a hard word, the enemy will tell you, oh, well, you don't have to listen to that. There's a church down the road. They, they preach all the stuff that you agree with, and they, don't, they tell you, you don't have to change. You're perfect just the way you are. That's, that's not Jesus. I promise you that's not the Holy Spirit saying we get, we're so quick to get defensive, right? Now listen, there's times to be defensive. If somebody gives you a word, you test the spirit, right? I have a prophetic word for you, Pastor Jeremy. Oh, okay, cool. What is that? And they tell me, nope, not getting that at all. Guess what I do? I say in that moment, you know, I really don't think that word's for me. Because ladies and gentlemen, don't let it in, right? If it's not from God, don't let it in. But also, don't be so quick. Test the spirit, right? It's not immediately put up a wall and block everything you don't want to hear. That's not testing the spirits. Test the spirit. And if it's not for you, tell the person. That, that's not a word for me. I had that happen to me once. Somebody came up to me after service one day and said, hey, you know, and, and like attacked, Jana's in my marriage. I know you've been having thoughts of infidelity and, and you need to stop that. What? And, and what I've learned since then is at that moment, I needed to say, I'm sorry, but that's not me. I don't know what happened, where the wires got crossed, what's going on, but I am not, and that's not a word for me. If it's not a word for you, kick it out. Get rid of it. Don't let it in, because there was a season Jan and I went through for months that, that our marriage was under attack, and those kinds of things kept happening. And you've got to stand and say, nope, that's not for me. That's not me, and I, I don't accept that. All right? That, that was for free. But anyway, surround yourself with covenantal friends. Surround yourself with a covenantal church, with people who were, will speak hard truth. Because when you do, it leads to revival. If your heart is tender... If you are humble enough to receive God's word, you will see a turning to God, you will see an including of others, and you will see a lifetime of following God. And we see this in the very last three chapters of 2 Chronicles 34. This is how Josiah's story, not really how it ends, but how it's going to end for us today. First, you see a turning to God. Josiah says, 
Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimony and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. You know, we read some of these Old Testament things and you look at it and it's like, man, that sounds so dusty, right? It's like from a museum and you got to pull it off the shelf and blow the dust off it. It sounds archaic, right? Old Testament, we don't do those things anymore. Y'all, that's, that's not good. That's a condemnation on our culture, not on the Bible. When we read these things and we're like, oh, that's so old. That's old ways of doing things. No. It shows how far we've gotten away from this. Can I ask you a question? I'm not going to make you answer in front of everybody, but can the Holy Spirit ask you a question? When is the last time that you have gotten down on your knees before the Lord, or how, whatever your prayer posture is, but you've prayed to God, and you've said, God, I am covenanting with you right now that I am going to follow you with all of my heart and with all of my soul, that I am going to keep every one of your commandments, that I am going to keep every one of your statutes. I'm yours, God. When's the last time you've prayed that? Ever? I'll be honest. I haven't. We've, we've got this culture. Christianity has let in this culture. Well, Jesus, I'm going to try my best, but grace will get me the rest of the way. That's not biblical. And, and here's, this is the real knock on us, y'all. We have something that King Josiah did not have. Because what's King Josiah say? God, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to try really hard to obey all the commandments. He doesn't say that, does he? I will. I am covenanting with you. I will. And God, where I can't, I am trusting that you will make up the difference. Ladies and gentlemen, King Josiah didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And he still made this promise. A complete and a total turning to God. God, I'm going to forsake everything else. And I am covenanting with you that I am running after you every day of my life. You have the Spirit of the living God inside of you. The Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you will just surrender, he's going to do it all. But you've got to surrender to him, and that's what we don't like. We are so certain, falsely certain. Well, nobody's perfect. You're right, not on your own. But ladies and gentlemen, if you walk by the Spirit, you can live a life without sin. Have you heard that preached in the church? Ever? Some people preach it. I'm not killing everybody today. But ladies and gentlemen, we act like that's not an option. We act like sin is the only road. And so, well, Jesus is here for forgiveness, but sin's really the only way I can go. That's not what the Bible says, y'all. That is not what the Bible says. The book of 1 John, there's, there's this passage in there. It does not say, when you sin, 
Christ is there to forgive you. It doesn't say that. It says, if you sin, we have Christ as an advocate. But if we sin, ladies and gentlemen, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not sin. That's God's way. Remember? God's way, man's way. Remember that? Yeah? We talk about it every week. You should. When you go God's way. There's not sin on this road, y'all. There is no sin on this road. When do I step into sin? When I'm chugging along on this road and I think, okay, God, I got it now. I'm, I'm cruising. I got this. I get it. Yeah, so we do these things and we do these. Th oh, whoops. I'm off. And we fall into it. But if you're on that road, guys, the, the world today needs to see Christians on that road. Yes, your holiness is going to rub people the wrong way. Yes, you are going to grate on every single person who doesn't walk the way that you walk. But the world needs to see it. They will persecute you. They will hate you. They will spit on and mock you. They did the same thing to Jesus. Why do we expect any different? But that is what it looks like to turn completely to God. And when we do turn completely to God, all of a sudden we start including others. I said this last week and I got some, some funny looks. This is what, this is what first, King Josiah. Moreover, Josiah, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. We are such an individualistic culture today. Our secular humanism, that's a sociological term for it. And it's all about the individual, right? Unfortunately, we've boiled it down to your faith in Jesus is yours, and it just impacts you. False. False. Dwight Schrute, false. That's not right. Because Christianity, while it is an individual choice, it's a community. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are walking your relationship with Jesus alone, you are not doing it right. You have to be walking in community. And when you walk in community, you will bring others with you. Now, I said this last week. This is what got me funny looks. I said this, and a couple people were like, huh? But it's because it never gets taught. I said last week that revival is for the church, not for unbelievers. So when we pray for revival, you cannot have a revival service for someone who has never given their life to Jesus. That can't be revived. It's not a life, right? For something to be revived, it has to have life to begin with, okay? Revival is for the churched, not for the unchurched. There are things in the Bible. I know we don't like this today in culture. That's not inclusive. There are things in the Bible that God gives to his people. Guys, the Holy Spirit is not living inside of unbelievers. Did you know that? Well, yeah, I knew that. That's not inclusive. Not nice of you, Jesus. There are some things that only pertain to believers. Revival is one of them. But listen, if it is true biblical revival, revival is for the church, not the unchurched. But the response from Christians from revival is for the unchurched. Because when you respond biblically to revival, it is not, we're going to sit in our comfy seats and we're going to have great services and it's all about us here. That's not what revival does. Revival reaches out. 
revival shares what's going on in your life and it brings others with you. And contrition is what starts this. Because contrition is really, contrition, being broken over our sins. When you are broken over your sin, there is nothing that pushes you to the lost better than that. Because it humbles you, right? Has anybody ever really been broken over sin? It humbles you, and you realize the gospel truth. Oh, crap. I'm not better than anybody else. Who, the, the rest of the world looks down on people because they're, they're not of the same socioeconomic status or ethnicity or, or whatever it is. The gospel won't let you do that because it breaks you. It says you were a sinner just like them and you've got to go to them. And so you go. But at the same time, the gospel picks you up because even though you are a mess of an individual, God chose you anyway. He picked you up. He lifted you off the ground, out of the pit, and he chose to save you. Says the, the gospel is the only way to get there because you will either look down on people, and guys, Christians do this. This is a complex people get into. We get this savior complex. People who love going on missions trips, not everyone, but it's, it's a danger because there are some people who go on missions trips because they have this Messiah complex. We're here <laughs> to give you your dental supplies for your rotten teeth. <laughs> you can thank us. It's okay. Because we're better than them. The gospel won't let you do that, though. The gospel says you are no better. You got braces when you were 16. They didn't. Who cares? But at the same time, the gospel affirms you to the point where you can walk in front of kings and invite them to come with you because they're no better than you. Jesus died for them just like he died for you. See, that the gospel is the only way you get both sides of that. The gospel is the only way that we can include everyone because we are humbled yet affirmed. And so we can go to everyone and we can include everyone. Hey, come covenant with me. Let's run after this thing together. Look what God is doing. Don't you want that in your life? And guys, when it's revival, when you've experienced God, you won't be able to shut up about it. You guys know that. You've experienced God at some point. You want to tell everybody. It's like your favorite TV show, right? You tell everybody about it. Dude, have you seen this new TV show? Oh, it's so cool. Things blow up. Because it's your favorite TV show. When you have an experience with Jesus, it's ten times your favorite TV show. You can't stop talking about it. Man, God did this thing in our church last week. You should come. You should come experience this. You should come feel the love that this church has for people. You should come, you know, experience what God's doing, how he's moving, all this stuff. You want to bring people along. And when you do, when you're broken, when you turn to God, when you include others, you'll find that it leads to a lifetime of following God. I'm going to tell on myself here. Pentecostal Jeremy came out full force for this sermon. I was reading through, I was actually going to preach from 2 Kings 22 today because that also tells the story of Josiah. 
but I got to the end of it, and it's kind of an anticlimactic ending. It's like, wah, wah. And so I've read the Bible a lot. I, didn't, I, I don't have it all memorized, but I know like there's a bunch of these kings that at the end of the king's thing, they do something really good, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And so I hope, I'm going to look in Second Chronicles because I hope Josiah is one of those kings. I hope he reads the book of the law and then his glory comes because then everybody's going to know it's revival. Then everybody's going to be like, oh yeah, that's revival, all right. And so I got there, I looked in Second Chronicles, I get to the end, and I scroll down and everything, and I read this. Josiah removed all the abominations from the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. My God, that's not really a glory cloud. I mean, but then he grabbed me and he broke me. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. Guys, I'll take that revival over a glory cloud any day. That's revival. Gospel House, can I ask you a favor? Will you covenant with me this morning? It's, it's just a little thing. It's only going to take your entire life to fulfill. Actually, my entire life to fulfill. Can you please live your life in a way that they can put that on my tombstone? Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. That's what I want more than anything. As I live my life, that everyone who's along on this ride with me, and y'all, you're along on this ride with me, whether you want to be or not, that none of us would turn from following the Lord as long as I have breath in me. And listen, y'all, if you turn and stop, guess who's coming after you? Yes, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but they're coming through me. I'm running after you. I am coming after you and I'm pulling you back. Church, can we do that? Can we covenant with one another that that's how we're going to do this thing? Throughout our lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of our fathers. That's revival. But it is going to take a desperation and it is going to take a humility to allow ourselves to be broken before God. And then it's going to take a next level dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But we'll talk about that next week. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like Him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.